Life Church, how are we doing this morning? Man, uh, my name is Aaron Moore. I'm the student pastor here at Victory Life. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm super excited to be in the house of the Lord. I'm excited about what God's going to do. I'm expecting. And so I hope you came to church excited and ready to go because it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Well, hey, if you're new here at the church, we just want to thank you so much for joining us this morning. We want to get connected with you. We want to do life with you. And so uh, one way you can do that is uh, going on our website and clicking the New Here tab. It's at vlchurch.com, and we can get connected with you. You'll fill out some information, and we'll reach out to you this week because we want to do life with you. We want to partner in faith with you. And so, but we are so excited that you are here. Guys, it would not be a, a student pastor announcements without me talking about our student ministry, right? Come on, can I hear from my students? Can I hear from my students this morning? Come on. Well, hey, we, this uh, week, Saturday, August 7th, we got Serve Day. Come on, we got Serve Day, and it's going to be an amazing day. And what is, what is Serve Day? Well, hey, we're going to come here to the church we are going to be working on a few different projects and giving back to the church and, and stewarding that which God has given us. So we're going to be uh, doing some things like revamping the playground. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. But uh, for my students in the room who have not gotten signed up yet, I would love for you guys to get signed up. You can do that on our Instagram bio. Uh, some of you follow that already. Go on our Instagram bio. In the uh, bio, there is a link, um, as well as you can also get connected with us after service. You can come find me or one of our leaders, um, as well as uh, you can come to Youth Night tonight and get signed up that way. And, and for parents in the room who have students, we'd love to see them uh, this Saturday. So uh, come find us after service. Come find me. I'd love to get you guys where you would like to be. And so, uh, also, if you want to get connected more at Victory Life Church, we got Growth Track. And Growth Track is going to be starting uh, back up on August 18th. It's going to be a four-week class, and it's on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m., uh, led by Pastor Otto. And uh, I love hanging out with Pastor Otto, so you're going to have the best time ever. So, uh, but it's a way that you can get connected with our church, really find out our DNA, and also uh, what part you have to play here, uh, and also in the kingdom of God. And so it's going to be amazing. You can get signed up online if you want to get more connected that way. Well, hey, if you came to give here at Victory Life this morning, we just want to thank you so much uh, for giving. You uh, can give in a few different ways. You can give uh, either through text, through online, or in person. And I want to remind you that today is Benevolence Sunday. And Benevolence Sunday is the first Sunday of every month. And it's a time that you can give to our benevolence ministry. And our benevolence ministry is designed to give to those in need. It's really us being able to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to give to those who are in a difficult time or are in need. And so you can do that in a few different uh, ways this morning. And I want to encourage you, uh, for those who might be in need this morning, reach out. We want to be able to be the church and be uh, Jesus to you. And so... Uh, that's all I have for you guys this morning. So can we stand to our feet and get ready to worship Jesus this morning? Lord, we just thank you so much for what you're doing in this house. We thank you so much for what you're doing in this area, Lord Jesus. And God, we just want to give back to you this morning. We want to worship you knowing that you've got every battle, Lord, that you, uh, or that you direct our paths, Lord Jesus, as we trust in you 
God. And Lord, that you're faithful. And Lord, we, we worship you knowing that whatever's going on in front of us, that we can focus our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, and that uh, you deserve our worship. You deserve every praise. And Lord, that uh, the breath that you've given to us from the beginning of time in our lungs, Lord, we give it back to you this morning because you're so deserving. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's worship him this morning. I want my life to praise you. 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 I
worship him for the love that he's shown us. Jesus, we love you, for we have been 
out this morning. Christ loved us. God loved us that he sent Christ to this earth. Christ loved us that he died for us. It's love. Why? Because we're God's creation. God wants to be with you and me. He wants to be here in this place right now. He desires it. That's why he sent his son. We broke our relationship with God. But God said, I know who can heal it. And he sent his son, Jesus, to die for you and me. That's love. But can you take a moment and think of a real human body? Not just a Bible story. But this was a real man, human flesh, that took beatings, that took a whip, that took a crown of thorns on his head, that took a spear in his side, hung on the cross, until he suffocated and died. This was a real human. And he did it because he loved you and me. That's why we're here today. That's why we sing today. That's why we worship. Because somebody loved us so much. All we can do is give back that love in return. But what was better than just him dying and laying in the grave was the fact that three days later, death could not hold him down. He's alive today. You see, physically, he was dead. But spiritually, there was no death in him because there was no sin in him. So the physical and the spiritual weren't meeting up. So he had to raise to life again. And now when we call upon his name, we also have that resurrection life in us. We have so much to be thankful for today. So much to be grateful for today. This is why we worship. This is why we can't keep our mouths closed this morning. Because God has done something so amazing on behalf of his creation. Because he loved us so much. Don't miss out on an opportunity to praise the one who gave you so much love. Let's worship him this morning and thank him for the resurrection life that's now in us. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you today and worship you.
Your name. 
aren't you thankful we have a God who is victorious today? Hallelujah. It's the only reason we can be victorious. Because he's alive. We are alive today. Oh, there should be joy. Joy in our hearts. Joy in this place. Let's bow our heads before him one time before the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you once more for sending your son Jesus to show amazing, unfailing, powerful love to us by taking the cross. But we also want to say thank you for the power that raised Jesus from the dead because we know it gives us eternal life with you when we call upon the name of Jesus. I pray you would make that message clear to all of us this morning, whether we've heard it once or a hundred times or a thousand times. Let us never forget. Let us always remember the reason we're here. We're here for you today, Jesus, and you alone because of what you've done. Praise you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. We'll try that again. I think the microphone's on now, right? Good morning, Victory Life Church. It's great to see you today. It's good to be in God's house. And thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. Uh, that was a great, great worship experience had by all. Well, my name's Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, as you may know, Pastor Matt is out for the next for the next week or so. He's been on vacation, and I have the good fortune of preaching and teaching this morning. And if you'd like to open up your Bibles to the particular passage of Scripture that we will be focusing on, you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you want to hold another maybe uh, finger in Ephesians 6, you can do that too. But most of our time uh, will be spent in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, When I was in high school, I uh, decided to join the wrestling team. And it was my sophomore year. And the wrestling coaches encouraged me to join because I was a small and remotely athletic, uh, you know, athlete, and they needed a 103-pounder. And so they said, you know, I could start on the team automatically, and what that meant for me was I could actually triple varsity letter my sophomore year. I ran cross-country and track. And I was planning on getting varsity letters in those two sports. And they said, you could get a varsity letter in wrestling and you can start. I said, let's do it. So I wrestled and I started as a 103-pounder on the varsity squad. But needless to say, I wasn't very successful. I'm not going to share with you my record. I have since received counseling for that. But I wasn't very happy about my record. Because I'm kind of competitive and I wanted to do well. After the season, one of my teammates, who was one of my friends, came up to me and he said, you need to start lifting weights, Otto. You need to get stronger. He said, basically what happened in your wrestling matches was that you were overpowered. Your opponents were stronger than you. And so that is exactly what I did. I started lifting weights like a madman. And sure enough, I began to get stronger. And in fact, what I knew to be a bicep 
that I never had before started showing up in my arms, and I thought, you know, that was pretty cool. And so for the next one to two years, my main focus within the sport of wrestling was lifting weights. And so I made gains, I built muscle, and in fact, there was a point in time many years ago where I aspired to be a bodybuilder because of how things were going. But in the middle of my pursuit of trying to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, my wrestling coach sat me down and he had a conversation with me. He said, Oscar, I need to have a very serious talk with you. He said, I'm concerned about your approach to wrestling. And I said, well, what do you mean, coach? Don't you see these bulging biceps? What's the problem? He said, no, I'm not concerned about your biceps. I'm concerned that you're giving all of your extra time to the sport of wrestling to improve your strength as a wrestler, but you're giving no time to actually learning how to wrestle. He went on to say, we've been having practice all summer long. This was in the summertime when we had this conversation, and wrestling, as you may know, happens during the winter months. He said, we've been practicing all summer long, and you never show up. The only time I see you is when you're in the weight room. I said, Coach, come on. I will practice wrestling when the wrestling season begins in late October. For now, I'm building these biceps, bro. It was at that moment he said something to me that I haven't forgotten since. He said, Oscar, knowing how to wrestle is so much more important than having the strength to wrestle. And in my teenage pride and hubris, I didn't really pay attention to him. I thought that was just, you know, wrestling coach speak. But I have to tell you, he was right. Because I never did reach my goals in the sport of wrestling. Now, truth be told, over the next couple of years when I wrestled, uh, after I gained all that strength, all of my wrestling opponents that I went up against, I was stronger than them. But they knew how to wrestle better than me, and as a result, came out on the winning end. The sport of wrestling isn't so much about strength. It's about knowing how to wrestle. And I wish I would have spent more time learning how to wrestle. These last several weeks, we have been learning how to wrestle with the battles we face in our minds. We have learned that God actually has a strategy for us for renewing our mind. We've learned how to wrestle with this stuff. For example, we've learned that it's important to examine every thought with God, to invite him into our thoughts. Pastor Aaron talked about the importance of rest and taking a Sabbath and how that's a biblical principle so that we can set aside time to just be with God and enjoy our lives. We've also learned about the importance of setting our mind on the things of God. And then last, last week, Pastor Matt mentioned the importance of that phrase in Philippians where it says, the Lord is here. The Lord is here. No matter how much we are wrestling 
in our minds with our thoughts. We have to remember that God is present. And here's why. Here's why. Because the wrestling match is ongoing in the unseen realm all the time. Look at what it says in Ephesians 6 about this wrestling match. The Apostle Paul in verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Raise your hand if you've read that verse before. Very important verse in the pages of Scripture. And what it says is that when we wrestle, we have to know how to wrestle because there's a lot going on behind the scenes. Because the struggle we have in our minds, it may manifest itself in our lives as a mere human struggle. But what this verse is telling us is that it often begins first as a spiritual wrestling match, and then, my friends, the war is on. The war is on in our minds, and we have to know how to wrestle and fight this war with our minds. And so today, we are going to spend some time looking at a few verses in 2 Corinthians 10 that speak directly to this war within our minds. Are you in 2 Corinthians 10? Look at at verse 3 and following. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. These verses contain a very important strategy for knowing how to wrestle with the battles we face in our minds. So this morning, I would like to focus on three main things that jump out within these few verses in 2 Corinthians 10. And the three things are these. The war the weapons, and the win. The war, the weapons, and the win. First, let's talk about the war. Look again what it says in verse 3. Paul says, For we are not waging war according to the flesh. Now, the reason Paul refers to a war in this passage is because there was indeed a war, metaphorically speaking, going on for the minds of the Corinthians. He had planted a church in this city of Corinth, and there were some, after Paul planted this church, there were some that were trying to to deny what Paul had preached to them and the message of the gospel that he once taught them. They were trying to invalidate him and his message and therefore the battle for their minds and what they believed. And this war for their minds was not a war that was carnal, as Paul said, It wasn't human, it was spiritual. That is why he says, we are not waging war according to the flesh. He knew where this war came from. He knew that when there is a battle for your mind, 
the battle is not one that you can wrestle on your own. He knew that when you're facing a battle that challenges who you are, you must consider and understand a very important biblical truth, and it's this. The mental battles that he faced and that we face are oftentimes spiritual. And so as a believer in Jesus, when you're facing some kind of problem in your mind, Paul is saying the first thing to consider is where it came from. Where did this thought come from? Where did this depression come from? Where did this anxiety come from? Now, sometimes it may be situational or circumstantial. Sometimes it might be due to the fact that we live in a fallen world. And yet other times, oftentimes, it might just be, says Paul, that there is indeed a spiritual issue going on. There may be a spiritual attack on your mind. And he wasn't about to face the war for his mind on his own. His default was to assume the conflict he faced was spiritual. Someone once said that we often mistake that we are human beings having spiritual experiences. But what's more true is that we are spiritual beings having human experiences. I think that's true. I think Paul knew that to be true. Because our own internal battles in our minds, we must remember, my friends, they are not random occurrences. But often they can be induced, as Paul is saying, by something spiritual going on, a spiritual wrestling match going on in an unseen realm, and it must be addressed on that level. Just consider for a moment some of the situations that you faced within this past week, the interpersonal conflicts that you had, maybe the marital strife that you experienced, maybe the friendship struggles that went on, maybe the issues with your children. Is it possible that some of these events may have been induced in a spiritual wrestling match, trying to throw you off your game. My question for you is, do you stop to think and pray, God, show me how to fight this war? Do you stop to think and pray, God, teach me how to deal with this battle I'm facing? Or as Pastor Matt said when he started this series, are you inviting God into your thoughts? Or to use Paul's language, Have you waged war where this thing originated? See, this teaching isn't designed to invoke fear in anyone, but rather it is to inspire courage in you to step into a reality that is often more real than we might assume. There is a war, and you can't even begin to fight it until you begin to wrestle with it on the level that it has indeed originated. Now, I have to be honest, when I was preparing this teaching uh, this week, I had a war going on uh, inside of me. And the war was this. In my humanity, I wanted to hold back. I didn't want to sound like I was trying to over-spiritualize everything that goes on in the life of a believer, in the life of a Christian. 
I don't want to sound like that everything is spiritually influenced, influenced by some kind of demonic activity that needs a supernatural intervention from God. So even in my mind, I wanted to object to it. There was a war going on in me. But as I looked at this passage in 2 Corinthians, it was clear to me that there is a war for your minds that is ongoing, and it is a spiritual war. And this was my battle this week as the war in my mind was happening. And so I just had to stop in my preparation, and I just began to pray, and I said, God, help me, because I I can't do this. I'm struggling. I'm fighting this. Give me the courage to say what needs to be said so your people can be encouraged themselves. I want them to hear from you, not me, your fearful servant. Because in my humanity, I would just much rather say, hey, you know, there's, there's stuff going on, and you need to know about it, and it's out there. It's probably not happening with you, but hey, this is, you know, in the scriptures, and so you might, you might want to know about it. No. You need to know that some of you might be waging war in your mind. Some of you may have doubts about who you are in Christ. Some of you may have doubts about your value in the kingdom of God. And if this is you, in my humble opinion, to me, this is the language of spiritual war for your mind. And if the enemy can affect your mind He knows the gateway to your heart. This war is ongoing, my friends. And we all have to make a decision on what level we're going to wage the war. Because God has clearly shown us here in his word how to wrestle with these internal thoughts and ways we all face in our lives. But he's also shown us how to deal with it which leads to the next point in this passage, the weapons, the weapons. Paul knew that when he waged war, he didn't fight on his own accord. Look at what it says again in verse 4. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. See, to deal with this war that's going on in our minds... The weapons we use are of utmost importance. Paul says, our weapons are not of the flesh. Now, if you're kind of new to the Bible or Christianity or church or whatever, this phrase of the flesh is referring to human beings relying on their own human ability to overcome these battles that we face or dealing with your problems with worldly power or worldly influence. The main point here is that God has a different kind of weaponry. In fact, later on in the Apostle Paul's ministry, uh, Paul was actually experiencing significant strife, probably significant mental strife. He was actually in prison for preaching the gospel. And while in this place, Paul actually speaks about the weapons that we use as believers to fight the war that we are facing. It's a well-known passage, some of which... I've already read to you in Ephesians 6. Let me read it to you. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Here's that verse we just read. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. He goes on to say, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. These were the weapons that Paul knew to use, and these are the weapons that you and I are supposed to use. Now, we don't have time to explain what all these weapons mean, but I was able to secure a brief yet thorough description of these weapons by a particular commentary called the Enduring Word Commentary. And this is what it said. It said, The Corinthian Christians tended to rely on and admire carnal weapons for the Christian battle. It says, Instead of the belt of truth, they fought with manipulation. Instead of the breastplate of righteousness, they fought with the image of success. Instead of the shoes of the gospel, they fought with smooth words. Instead of the shield of faith, they fought with the perception of power. Instead of the helmet of salvation, they fought with lording over authority. Instead of the sword of the spirit, they fought with human schemes and programs. Now, what's important to remember is that this is what Christians were doing. They were were believers, like you and I, not unbelievers. He's writing these words to Christian believers because they weren't engaging the war that they were facing with the white with the right weaponry. And so if they struggled, you know, the way that they did to use the white right weaponry, I think it's safe to say that we're going to struggle with this stuff too. It's our human nature to use the weapons of this world to win. I know I have done it too. So I'm guilty of this as well. But just consider for a minute, one of these weapons that Paul mentions in Ephesians, the shield of faith, with which he says you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Have you ever thought what a flaming dart is? I did a little bit of study on this, and one author said that a flaming dart is a thought that the enemy throws your way to see if it'll stick to your mind. He will throw these darts at you. And they are thoughts that come from inside your mind, maybe. Oftentimes from the outside. Could be words that other people speak to you. Maybe at work or within your family. Maybe a friend. Words could come to you from the news. Maybe a Facebook post. They are darts that come, they stick to your mind to get you to doubt what God has placed in you. He will throw a dart that might look or sound something like this. Let me give you some more examples of darts. Here's a dart. God could never use you because you mess up too much. Here's another dart. 
God could never forgive that one secret sin, so you better keep it quiet. Here's another dart. No one really wants to know you in the church because every time you try, it never works. Here's another dart. Avoid that person with whom you have conflict. You're never going to resolve it anyways. Here's another dart. If people knew how you really thought about yourself, you would be shunned and shamed. Here's another dart. You shouldn't even try to become a Christian because if you do, you will inevitably fail. Here's another dart. Don't share your depression or suicidal thoughts because the people around you won't really care or understand. Now, the weapon against these darts, my friends, is your faith. It's not trying to gain more power or influence so you don't feel insecure. No, instead, Paul says, rely on the power of your faith as a weapon. He said, take up your shield of faith to extinguish the darts. Now, let me try to make this really practical. I just want to mention a few things about the power of your faith that maybe you don't readily consider. First is this. Small faith can make a huge difference. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20? It should be on the screen for you. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. So if you're here today, and all you have is just a little bit of faith. Maybe you came in this morning, and you're like, I just have just a teeny, teeny, teensy. My son says teensy. I'm not sure if that's a word. But you have teensy faith. Well, you need to know that small faith in a big God can go a long way. Small faith can make a huge difference by extinguishing these darts. That's number one. Number two, continue building your faith. Listen to what it says in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. Listen, whenever you come here on Sunday morning or whenever you go to your life group and you hear God's word, your faith is being built. That's what God wants for you. But if you are not regularly in a place where you can hear his word being taught, your faith shield comes down, making you susceptible to things that come into your mind that ultimately do not belong there. So continue building your faith. Number three, exercise your faith. What is a step of faith that you know you need to take? Where do you need to move on something? Where do you need to exercise your faith? This is how you fight those darts. Maybe you need to take a step of faith and tell someone, listen, I am doubting. I am hurting. I'm losing my mind. Can you pray for me? Can you offer some wisdom? Can you help? May I just encourage you, if that is you, step out, speak up, and exercise your faith. And when you do it, the adversary that is coming against you will be defeated. Hebrews eleven twenty nine says, By faith, the people of God crossed the Red Sea 
as on dry land. But the Egyptians, their enemy, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Do you need to put your foot into the Red Sea? Listen, the water will not part ways until you take that step. You know what that step is for you? And God has given you the weapons you need to win the war for your mind, and you just need to use them. And if you use them, I truly believe God wants you to have a win. He wants you to have a win. Which leads to our last point about the win. Look at 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. It says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, here's a key point, friends. The win comes when we take everything that comes against us and we make it obey with what God says. Not what we say, maybe not even what somebody else says, but it has to obey with the word of God. Because when arguments and opinions raise a wall between you and God, we do not need to be held captive behind this wall. And the enemy wants to build a wall between you and God and keep you there. Some of you may feel like you're in a losing battle right now. You might feel like the wall is never coming down. Because the thoughts that have come into your mind have gotten you imprisoned behind a wall that ultimately God is ready to bring down. And here's a big takeaway from this passage. Please remember the weapons when you are in this war for your mind. This is not a war that you can win. The forces that have come against you are simply too strong. But there's hope. There's hope. And there's hope found within the pages of Scripture in a story that you know well in Second Chronicles 20. There's a story in the Old Testament about King Jehoshaphat, someone who faced military forces too strong for him to handle. And in Second Chronicles 20, the Bible tells us that there were three vast military powers coming against King Jehoshaphat and God's people. The Moabites, the Meunites, and the Ammonites. Probably the termites too, but that wasn't there. And when this happened, the Bible tells us something interesting. It gives us some insight into King Jehoshaphat's thinking, into his mind, and where his, war, where his mind was as he faced this war. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 21, it says that Jehoshaphat said, We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Have you ever felt that way? When you just don't have any answers? The pressure coming against you is too strong. The stress is debilitating. Your anxiety is at an all-time high. Because you do not know what to do. I know I have been there too. Well, we can learn from Jehoshaphat because when he was facing this impossible situation, he turned his eyes to heaven and recognized his own 
limitations. And it was at that point that God intervened. Look at what it says in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 15. One of God's prophets spoke up and said, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. The battle is not yours, but God's. Well, we don't have time to read all of 2 Chronicles 20, but let me give you a brief summary and tell you how it unfolds. So the next thing that God tells his people to do is to actually send their worship team onto the battlefield. And that's exactly what they do. And they lead all of God's people in a worship service. And the Bible actually tells us in 2 Chronicles 20 that they sing really, really loud. And as soon as God's people began worshiping, these opposing military forces that were coming against them, they didn't put a hand on God's people because they got so focused on battling one another. In fact, the Bible actually says that the Lord set an ambush against the Moabites, Ammonites, and Meubites, which is a technical way of saying God took care of it and his people were protected and they didn't even have to use a physical weapon. They worshiped and God fought this battle for them because they knew that their weapon in their war wasn't flesh and blood. It wasn't carnal. It was complete reliance upon the God of heaven to intervene and wage war on their behalf. Pretty cool story. I heard a story one time about a big, tough samurai. Once went to see a little monk because he wanted to know the difference between heaven and hell. And so he found this monk who lived as a recluse deep into the woods... And he knocked on this monk's door, and he said, Monk, please teach me about heaven and hell. The monk looked up at this mighty samurai warrior, and he said, Teach you about heaven and hell? I couldn't teach you about anything. You're dumb? You're dirty? You're a disgrace. And you're an embarrassment to the samurai class. Get out of my sight. I can't stand you. Well, this made the samurai very furious because he was a tough guy. He shook with anger. He was red in his face, speechless with rage. And he pulled out his sword. And as he had his sword ready to strike, the monk stopped him and pointed at the sword and said, That is hell. And the samurai kneeled down, looked up at the monk, and he took his sword, put it back in its sheath, And the monk pointed at that and said, that, my friend, is heaven. That is heaven. See, if you want the God of heaven to fight your battles, you have to put your sword away. We don't have enough power within ourselves to win. We do not have the weapons to win. We do not wage war according to the flesh. If you want to win this battle in your mind, let God fight for you. He's your best weapon. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for teaching us that you want to fight our battles. Thank you for showing us the way 
about the war that goes on in our lives. And I imagine that there are some that have come this morning that are engaged in a very difficult and trying war. I pray that what was taught this morning would sink deep within the hearts and minds of those individuals who need to wage war on the level where war ultimately happens. Inflate their hearts with faith to do battle on that level. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like for you to stay seated. I just want to offer an opportunity for you to respond. And as I prayed about this time, I really felt strongly that the Lord wanted me to talk a little bit about strongholds because Paul mentioned strongholds in this passage. And it's weird, but the things that came to my mind were these words, always and never. I felt like the Lord said, the strongholds are wrapped up in those two words, always and never. Some of you came this morning with a stronghold in your mind, and here's what it is. I will always be this way, and I will never change. I will always be this way, and I will never change. I will always be afraid. I will always be alone. I will always be a second-class Christian. I will always be anxious, and I will never change. These are strongholds that God wants to deal with this morning in some of you. And so may I ask you to close your eyes. And if you came this morning with this sort of thought in the back of your mind, you need to know this is a dart that's trying to build a wall between you and what God has for you. I will always be this way, and I will never change. If that resonates with you, eyes closed and heads bowed. Can you raise your hand this morning? I want to pray for you. Raise your hand if that is you. I will always be this way, and I will never change. God bless you. Absolutely. God bless you. God sees your hands. I want to pray for you right now. Father God, I pray that you would break down the walls and the minds of your people this morning. May you destroy these always statements. May you demolish the never statements. These are vows that your people have made that you never intended for them to have. Take these thoughts captive and enable those who have expressed need this morning, enable those to be set free. We have spoken your truth, and may your truth set them free. Continue to do it, God, in the only way that you can. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, can I ask you to stand this morning as we close today? Thank you for coming to Victory Life Church. And as we close, I'd like to speak a word of blessing over you that comes from Numbers 6, 24 and following. It says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And we ask for this blessing in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. Thank you and God bless you.